Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast, coming to you live from Morningstar Lodge number 47. Leave your aprons at the door, my brothers. Welcome to the Freemasons Podcast with your hosts, Right Worship Brother George Mudry, Worship Brother Joe, and Worship Brother Ken. And with us tonight, we are doing a podcast montage, I guess you could oh. say. We're, uh, we're mixing it up with uh, another podcast, Histories and Mysteries, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to them for their uh, introduction for their podcast. Yep, thanks for introducing us, brothers, and welcome to the podcast as well, Histories and Mysteries, where we talk about the unanswered questions of history. And unravel the mystery of the men we ask about our past. Today we got the Freemasons podcast, one and only, with us, and then uh, Ian as well as our co-host from hey, History's Mystery. Awesome! So they're going to be uh, asking us a bunch of questions. They're curious about Freemasonry, and uh, I'm sorry to say that they picked us degenerates, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know it's our first collaboration, it's our so first it's always a good thing. It's mm-hmm. like uh, uh, like a menagerie of sorts. <laughs> Well, they uh, we we tried doing on their um, on their page for Facebook. We tried doing a um, interview of me and talking about masonry, and we had audio issues, not unlike today or a little bit earlier. We were supposed to go at five, but we had a little bit of audio issues, which we solved. But we always do. Um, we're used yeah. to it by now. We're used to it by now. You know, at least it's not the Wi-Fi anymore. Now it's That's just true. now it's just audio connections designed not to work. So. But anyway, we're going to be answering as many questions as they have, as many as we can. And uh, these are going to be basically the opinions of us, not Grand Lodges. Uh, i got to state that because we are on another podcast platform as well. Right. So this is uh, not the views of Grand Lodge or anybody else like that. These are solely our own, our own, opinion. our own opinions. All right, guys. The floor is yours. All right. So... I think for our first one, let's just start about uh, when did you first hear Freemasonry, and then you guys can take turns going through that. Why don't you start it off, Worshipful Brother Ken? When did I first hear Freemasonry? Um, you know, I think it was probably during a campaign that, I think it was probably the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction or the Southern Masonic Jurisdiction of Scottish Rite was doing several years ago. I don't know if you guys remember it. You guys might be a little bit too young to remember it, but do you remember the the Benjamin Franklin, like kind of fireside chat commercials that were on TV, where he's like, "What's a Freemason?" and he like kind of goes through it, and so it wasn't really like a recruiting campaign so much as um, like an awareness campaign. And I believe it was a Scottish Rite that was doing it, but um, there were some billboards and um, some light advertising, I think, in in magazines. And uh, definitely some commercials. And I think that was probably in the mid-1990s, late 90s. 
Joe, if you remember this, back me up, man. Yeah, I no, I know. I remember the video exactly that you're talking about because they they play it quite a bit. I remember getting a a CD ROM of it at, at one mm-hmm. point to give you an idea that the date on it. I think it actually started uh, out of Massachusetts. I think it was the Grand Lodge mm-hmm. of Massachusetts that really pushed that campaign out. Um, cause, like, and they actually hired the guy that plays Ben Franklin. Like Philadelphia has an official Ben Franklin that they have to go around and play it, kind of like you would have a Disney princess, but I guess it's the Freemason version. And uh, they actually hired that guy to portray him in that video. Learned much more over the years um, from the History Channel. So with, with me... I actually, it's kind of like a two-stage process for me. So when I was a, a wee lad back in Stamford, Connecticut, in the Cub Scouts, we actually used to meet at the Masonic Lodge in Stamford. That's now I know is mm-hmm. Union 5, right. where the, our Grandmaster was just installed uh, a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. And I remembered it because we met there quite a bit. And then one year it was just like, yeah, we need to find a new place. The Freemasons are kicking us out. I'm like, what? Wow. So then I'm like, who are these Masons? Blah, blah, blah. But then obviously as I got older, you know, I'm a History Channel guy. I'd start to see a lot of it Damn. on there. I knew the Founding Fathers were. Um, so then it's, you know, it was one of those things where I, once I got back into it and saw a lot of the connections between Freemasonry and the Cub Scouts, I was actually surprised that they booted us <laughs> out. Maybe we're a rowdy bunch of kids. Destroying things, that's more than likely. Well, scouting was founded, if I'm not mistaken, by two Freemasons. Yes, Daniel Carter Baird was uh, one of them. We actually have an award uh, named after him in Connecticut. I don't know if that's every Grand Lodge in the United States has it, but I know the Grand Lodge of Connecticut does as a commemoration for the Freemason that started the Boy Scouts. And usually very supportive of... uh, scouting the fraternity is um especially given the fact that we have an entire independent body but a club in the same way that we have uh, masonic camping clubs and stuff like that we also have the masonic scouters association uh which is recognized by the grand lodge of connecticut and gives a lot of support to uh especially um boy scouts that are going through their eagle scout and need help on their eagle scout um, projects and stuff like that um they do a court of honor dinner um, an award ceremony as well. So there's a lot of links between scouting and the, the Masonic fraternity. So it is kind of surprising that they kicked you out of their lodge, Jeff. Yeah, I'm sure there was more to the story. Like I said, I was probably in Cub Scouts, so what was I, Ken? Probably 10, 11, somewhere around there. You know, you're the scouter guy. I think I had a Bobcat badge, and I got my bear badge, and then once I got up to the part where they give you a knife, my parents said no more. <laughs> yeah, you're whittling chips. <laughs> Because I knew I only wanted it for the knife. Yep. They were my right. I mean, they were just, right. My but... eight-year-old just crossed that threshold. So he <laughs> got his, his uh, like, uh, knife safety merit badge and everything. He got his Boy Scout knife, and he's been whittling everything wooden that he can get his hands on. Making his own, like, uh, s'mores, you know, marshmallow roasting sticks and stuff. Every time we have a fire in the backyard, he can't get enough. Have I him being like that, too, when I was his age. Have him whittle me a kazoo or something. I will. Yeah, see if he can work his way up to that. A recorder or something, yeah. Oh. A woodwind instrument. Yeah, something where I could just sit here and whistle and annoy George, make him angry. (laughs) (laughs) For me, what got started me in Freemasonry, uh, History Channel. Uh, I started watching a show on the History Channel, talk about the secrets of the dollar bill and, you know, all this other stuff. And 
uh, I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, all these guys yeah. were famous Freemasons. And that's kind of was like, oh, well, this is, yeah, this is what I want to. Absolutely. You know, this is what I want to get into. You know, all these you know, distinguished gentlemen, like, yeah, I want to be part of that. So that's pretty much got, what got me into it and then uh, just took off from there. So mine's all pretty right. simple. Well, and you know, we just did a few episodes before we did this one with you guys, and we were talking about the same thing. All the historical people you don't really realize are Freemasons. It's uh, right. such a huge brotherhood that you guys have, and there's so many people that uh, you don't even realize. Uh, J.C. Penny, I think. Was himself even a Freemason? So. He was. I he was. Know yep. Yeah. Know and uh, I think that's the same thing that's gotten me interested in it as well. Because uh, once fall comes around and uh, all the coronavirus stuff goes away, hopefully I'll be joining down at the Carbondale Lodge for some of the same reasons. I'm very much a, a History Channel baby as well. So thus, history is mysteries for us. I think Jake got me into uh, Freemasonry for sure. But I think I think. Uh, Meeting with a lodge owner actually piques my interest a bit too. Yeah, I think once you get in there, you can see it and you can kind of get a feel for what's going on in the building. And the, you know, you, you hear about the historical figures, but when you start to see your, you know, some local folks and maybe somebody who's, uh, you know, a pillar of your community or whatnot, and then you see that they're involved, you're like, mm. wow, okay, this is, this is a little closer to home. You know, it's not something that happened a couple hundred years ago. This is somebody who's, you know, looked up to in, in the local community, and he's a part of this. Absolutely. And uh, even just walking by my courthouse one day, I saw the, the cornerstone or the front of the building of the, the courthouse was uh, laid by the Grand Lodge of Illinois. And so uh, even just seeing stuff like that in our own small town, is uh, it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Mm. What else you guys got? Fire uh, away. Fire away. You know we're ready. We're all yeah, amped we up plenty, ready to go. We got plenty of questions for you guys. What what is your guys' famous uh, Freemason of history? Like your famous favorite historical Freemason? Favorite historical Freemason? I know who it's yours like, is. Let's get Ken go. Ken, go ahead, buddy. Having some problems unmuting my microphone there. Hopefully, you guys can hear me. So, my favorite historical Freemason. Um, I mean, everybody's favorite is always George Washington. I have a feeling that's what Joe or uh, what George is going to say. So, I'm going to. I'm going to uh, take the high road on that one and not argue with him. And I'm going to say Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. Ben Franklin, um, I mean, he was not the perfect person, right? He had his flaws. No. He admitted to those flaws. Um, but he was one of the foundational members of our forefathers and did a lot for the country. And um, he, is, he is my favorite by far. Nice. Joe. I'm actually surprised because I thought uh, Worst for Brother Ken was going to go George Washington like you because I'm usually the outcast when I say Worst for Brother Ben Franklin. Especially if you get a chance to get to Philadelphia. Um, you know, not only was he a huge part of, you know, being a founding father, part of the revolution, part of, you know, ambassador to France and really made a lot of those connections. But if you go through Philadelphia, every building almost every institution in philadelphia he was responsible for right he was responsible for the post office <laughs> he was responsible for the first fire department he was in responsible for the first insurance company i'm fairly certain he opened up the first library there there's there's almost everything in philadelphia which was really like the hotbed of everything going on at that time he had his hands in right. he was not only 
a smart man and an inventor, but he the contributions that he made to society are just you could the printing press. You know, right. you can go on and on and on. So the impact that he had on society as far as making things better and improving and, and pushing society forward uh, are just it's just amazing. Mm. And like Ken said, he'd like to have a good time, too. So, so uh, <laughs> I, again, mine has always been uh, Gentleman George. <clears throat> he uh, and again, one of my one of the things I <clears throat> when I was learning about him. Uh, was when he went to the First Continental Congress and he literally showed up in his military uniform, sat in the corner, didn't say a word because he didn't need to say anything. It was just his presence. Mm -hmm. He just had that overpowering presence. And I think that's quite, uh, quite impactful when somebody can literally walk into a room and own the room and get what he wants without, without even having to boast about it. Yep. And, uh, but the smart ass of me would also say, Napoleon, oui, oui. <laughs> Short little guy, right? Come yeah. on now. With the complex. the world. I mean, yeah. well, well, but he lost he tried. eventually. He tried. Yeah. He tried. He, he was pretty good for a while. And they threw him on an island. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> <laughs> Napoleon. Oui, oui. No, but uh, definitely George Washington. That makes sense, actually, too, because you guys are all uh, out of Connecticut in the New England area. So uh, a lot of those are a lot closer for you guys than they are for us. So you could probably see those sites a lot easier than we could, too with uh, the influence that they made. So that's awesome. Um, I, I just want to say my personal favorite, because uh, we talked about him uh, in a few episodes back. Uh, Albert Pike yeah, was I my favorite. Because uh, tons of Civil War history concerning Albert Pike and the Scottish Rite really took a, a lot of their history from him. Morals and Dogma, we talked a little bit about that in uh, one of the past episodes. And uh, just revolutionary history with the Freemasons is really interesting, too. But then Civil War, I feel, is pretty overlooked. And Civil War has a lot of really cool Freemasonic connections as well with brothers uh, being united through it, north and south. And then uh, Albert Pike did a whole lot during that time period as well. Right. Absolutely. But, you, you know, you certainly picked one of uh, the most controversial figures in Freemasonry. You know, he's a, a bit of a lightning rod for controversy. He did a bunch of great things, <laughs> but... You know, not everybody understands his readings and, and understands the intent, and that's where a lot of the uh, Luciferian stuff in Freemasonry comes from because of him making a comment that's been taken out of taken out of context. Yeah. Um, but I also believe, uh, if I'm correct, he is the only Confederate general. I believe he was a general in the Confederate Army to have a statue yeah, within the confines of Washington D.C. I believe you're right. Yeah, so he's that's... actually uh, they dug his ass up too and brought him over to the house of the temple too. He's actually yes. buried in the wall of the house of the temple. Yep, that's right. Really, yeah. which is a uh, pretty good. Cool if you ever get a chance to see that place, that place is incredible and open to the public. Unlike the conspiracy theorists think, you could actually go in tours and yeah. stuff and see. No, I, I've been there. It's really really cool. There. If you guys are ever down in DC, I'd highly recommend it, yeah. even purely for the architectural Absolutely. standpoint of it. It's beautiful. Same thing with the. Uh, Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania that's in Philadelphia. Beautiful, beautiful building. Right. Maybe one day we'll dig you up and stuff you in the wall here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you oh think? God, we'll God. stick you in the chamber of reflection. I, you're yeah. lucky we're on another podcast because I'm being very nice. Because Are you going to say I, what? I wouldn't all, fit in the chamber of reflection? Are you going to make a fat joke? No, no, Is that no, where no, we're no, going? That's not where I was going with it. Okay. Hey, we're not going to stop you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I was going to say, when you dig me up and I'm buried uh, face up with no pants on, then, you know, it's on you. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a shallow grave. What else? Oh, all right. All right. Make sure. Yeah. That's fine. I'm going to line your casket with pamphlets, so it's fine. Oh. <laughs> I actually handed one out today. We'll get into that later. Now. All right. What else what you guys else you got, got, guys? Hey, wait until you get that book I just sent you, and then you see what's in the middle of that book. Uh, you you said you you love pamphlets. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I swear to God, I, <laughs> Chicago's not that far. It's only about a 16-hour drive. You sending me pamphlets? I'll come find you. Ah. <laughs> Real quick, guys, I got to give a shout out. To, we're going to be doing uh, an interview with Leeds Light Blues. That's a Masonic podcast out of uh, England. We're going to be doing an interview with them very shortly, and that's going to be May sixth. I believe. Or yes, that Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday after May the 4th. Mm-hmm. May the 4th. Wow. Oh. So we're going to be doing with them. So uh, shout out to them listening and watching right now. What else you guys got? Keep them All coming. Right. So what were your initial thoughts on becoming an entered apprentice? What were, you, what were you thinking about before the degree? And then what were your thoughts after the degree? <sighs> I can tell you the first thing I thought. Is when, and I won't get into specifics, but there is a certain way that you need to prepare yourself and be dressed in order for the degree to take place. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that I would be disrobing in any form that evening. When they throw you a pile of stuff and say, hey, change into this. I'm like, I'm yeah. sorry, what? Right. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm like, damn, I should not have worn my Batman underwear today. <laughs> Totally should not have done that. And like if I had known, I would have worn like basic black or you know something. Um, but yeah, that was honestly that was all kidding aside. That was my very first impression when they're like, "Here, change into this." I'm like, "Oh man." Um, but it's like, well, and that's where you get back into that historical piece, like you said. It's like, well, I'm assuming this is the same thing George Washington, Ben Franklin, and and millions of other brothers have done over the last i don't know few hundred years um if they got through it i can do it so i just gotta you know go through with it and then you realize in uh in hindsight that it was really a lesson about trust mm. uh so i'm glad that i persevered and you know might have ate a little less that week too but right what are you gonna do go ahead ken <laughs> for me it was um sorry about that so for me it was when um Oh, man, it's t- difficult to talk about with uh, the uninitiated. But there's a particular point in the entered apprentice degree, the first degree of masonry, where um, things are revealed to you. We'll just keep it at that. All right. And I had not seen the actual lodge room in my building of the lodge that I had joined up until that point. So that was my first time seeing the actual lodge room itself, which is a beautiful lodge room. Um, there's old furniture, old hardwood furniture that's been, I think, came from the, the late 17, maybe early 1800s. And it, um, a lot of it originally came from a church. And it's just beautiful, beautifully architected room. And I had never seen it. I didn't even know that was in the building until this particular point in the entered apprentice degree, which is a pretty powerful part of the ceremony in and of itself. So to see the actual lodge room for the first time at that point in the degree was, I think, the, the most interesting aspect of that first degree for me. So after finishing your first three degrees and finishing your blue lodge masonry, uh, what appendage body did you join? 
My first one was uh, I went to uh, the Scottish Rite. I did all the way up to the 32nd degree, and then I went over to the York Rite. And uh, I'm still in the York Rite. I'm not as active in the Scottish Rite anymore. So uh, I, I enjoy the York Rite much better. But I, I definitely went Scottish Rite first. Yeah, I, uh, I jumped into the Scottish Rite uh, the year that I was Worshipful Master in my Blue Lodge. Um, so I waited to kind of go through the chairs first before doing that. Went through 32nd degree, Scottish Rite. Um, then after that, joined the Shrine. Uh, I have not done um, York Rite as of yet. How about you, Worshipful Brother Ken? So I joined York Rite, and um, after that I got pretty active in the uh, the Blue Lodge as well. Uh, into the officer's line there, so I tried to pare back on how, how often I was attending any appended bodies. Um, after I, well, actually, just before I got into the East as master, I joined the Grotto as well because we have a local Grotto branch that, um, or Grotto chapter that um, meets in our lodge. So it was kind of convenient for me to uh, join with those guys as well. Oh, That's it for me so far. I don't think I knew yes. that you were Grotto, Ken. I am, sir. I am. Did not know that either. Okay. So now, what are, what are their uh, titles? Like, I know, obviously, we've got brother, we've got... Uh, um, companions in New York, right? Sir, uh, Sir, Sir Knight, Knight. Mm-hmm. and nobles York, in the yeah. shrine. So, yeah. what is the what is the grotto? Is there a specific title that goes? Yes, with that? you are a prophet. 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 Whoa. Oh. Prophet. Interesting. I would have not have mm-hmm. pegged you for the, pro- the as a prophet of the three of us. One last thing, I'm gonna try hey, the audio. Uh, what are the, uh, Leeds Light Blues? Uh, what orders grotto called again? Orders. Uh, so there's no there's no degrees per se that Grotto confers. There is one kind of ceremony which I forget what the actual name of it is. Um, but there's one kind of like initiatic rite that you go through when you join the organization. But there isn't like a progression of degrees like in some of the other um, some of the other bodies. Oh, so it might be that similar to the way that the uh, Order of the Sword of Bunker Hill is set up, where you have that first initiation, but it's. It's, uh, they don't confer degrees after that. Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's more like the, um, I guess if I had to compare it to any other appendant body, I'd compare it to the shrine, because I think the shrine has a ceremonial, right? They have, yeah. I'm not a member of the shrine, so. Yeah, you have um, your. But from what I understand, there's like one kind of, uh, rite that you go through in order to, to join. Correct. Mm. Here, I got one. Mm. So, Freemasonry is known for its symbols and allegories, uh, but. Compared to uh, the teachings that it does towards the initiates, why wouldn't they use something else like codes or just explaining it to them? Why, why is the use of symbols the, the way that teachings are prevailed? I'll take that one. So, so the main reason why symbols are used, because if you go back to the first formations of society and, and, and man's beginnings, there was no common language. There was no common... Um, you know, speech or, or a way to convey things other than symbols. And your mind is actually geared towards recognizing symbols, and, and certain symbols are universal. I mean, take it to modern times, while the language on it may be the same, you see the shape of a stop sign, everybody knows exactly what that means. So to convey something to somebody through symbols, not only just kind of sticks in your head better, um, but it's easier 
to pass on that tradition when you have people that don't speak a common language, that don't speak, uh, you know, maybe a different dialect of the same language that loses things in translation. You know, symbols are a way to get that message across. And also don't forget that, you know, being able to read is something that's fairly new uh, when you talk about the history of man. Um, not everybody was always able to read. So symbols right. were something that made it much easier to convey the same message and to make it more memorable. But it's also a way to safeguard against the uninitiated. So a symbol, once it's explained to you and shown to you, then, yeah, now you understand it. But if somebody hasn't been through that degree or through that lesson, it would mean absolutely nothing to them. You know, one of the examples I'll give on that is, you know, now that you both have an interest in Freemasonry, you go around Chicago, you said you saw the uh, the cornerstone had a symbol. You're starting to notice right. things where before you had an interest in it and before you even looked into it, you were probably walking by these symbols every day and having no clue that they're right in front of your eyes. Wow. Right. Worship Brother Kate, oh, yeah, anything I'm to add to that? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, guys. No, it's fine. Uh, and I've always been interested in it, so I think, yeah, definitely symbolism is a huge thing. And uh, you start to realize that stuff more, uh, not even just with uh, Freemasonry and my interest in that, but also with uh, other historical subjects that we've studied along the podcast and on my own. The, it's the same thing, so. Well, and if we, for the conspiracy theorists out there, you know, look at the symbol for uh, for CBS. What is it? It's an eye inside of a circle. A lot of people don't realize that's exactly what it is, but it is, in essence, the all-seeing eye. That's the symbol for CBS, your central broadcasting uh, system. So, you know, you, you get things like that, and even you walk around New York City, and you'll see all these different symbols, and you're like, hmm, intentional? More than likely, where before you just thought it was a pretty design. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things that you see a lot in architecture, it's it's an easy mode of recognition, in a way that not everybody would understand what it meant. Nice, right. very well said. I think the same thing with uh, like even the Adidas logo or uh, Nike, the Greek god, and all those connections are uh, interesting. Absolutely. To say the least. And don't forget the uh, Gmail. That's the Masonic apron. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that allegory is a great way to hide things in plain sight. I'm glad you brought up, Joe, that, uh, you know, keeping a lot of our ritual secret from um, the uninitiated by making it a series of allegorical lessons. I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can, listen, you can learn all the secrets of masonry. You're not necessarily going to know what's fact and what's fiction unless you're a mason. But if you look at those things and you're you're not being taught what each of those symbols means through our initiatic rites, then, like Joe said, it's not it's not going to mean anything to you. It's going to be worthless. Whereas to a mason, those things are precious. Those lessons are very, very important to us, but only because they're conferred in that way. Nice. You know, I like that. What else you got for us? Yeah, I want to expand on that a little bit, actually. And I want to get into uh, what are those common accusations made against Freemasonry and why and where did they come Ah, uh, common accusations. Oh, boy. You want to go uh, take this one uh, right yes. where with uh, your Alex Jones experience? Yes. Oh, he, he's cracking his neck, getting ready for this one. <laughs> so this... <clears throat> a lot of these things come from many different sources. One of them was, uh, yes, the Catholic Church. 
Uh, there's no secret about that. They do not like Freemasonry because Freemasonry is free thinkers. And the Catholic Church for many, many, many years, uh, they, they held the show. As a matter of fact, back in uh, medieval times, uh, the reason why the Bible was written in Latin and why it was spoken in Latin by the priests is because the plebs weren't allowed to read or have a Bible for themselves. So their word came directly from the priests. So now you get up into time a little bit more, and then, you know, you had free thinkers. You had uh, Giordano Bruno, who his name was? Yeah, during the uh, Enlightenment period. Enlightenment period, talking? Yep. yes. Yep. And all the, he was burned at the stake, and these were all people who came out and said, hey, you know, like, uh, the, the, this isn't right. You know, there's, there's a different story to this. There might be another side to it, you know, right. like the earth isn't flat. Right. Here's the information to side right. for yourself. And Freemasonry presented that. It's, it was an enlightenment thing. So they do not like it. So one of the things that was done was, uh, obviously, you slander things that you don't want to, to happen, right? You right. put it down. You demonize it. You make it bad. And, uh, you know, that's carried on to this day. Um, I think there's other things. There's, you know, the Morgan affair was a big one. And we've already discovered that it was sweet, sweet Lucinda who was oh, the reason boy. why the Morgan affair happened. But that's for, <laughs> that's for another time. If you want to listen to that one, go back. Um, but, you know, they took this one instance of one thing happening from one guy and they demonized all of the thing. Right. You know what I mean? One person was a bad seed and it across the board was, was demonized. So, and also the last, I think, final thing is people tend to demonize and put down things that they don't understand. They don't understand it. So it's got to be bad, right? Yeah, especially if it's something that's a secret or veiled right. an allegory. Oh, well, they're, they're hiding something. They must be hiding something bad. Right. Of um, course. Why would you need uh, secrets if it's... Uh, right. Well, you know, some people believe in actually being able to keep a secret. Right. And that's a Freemason. You can ask any Freemason on the planet that you they are good to their word. They will keep secrets and protect one another. And... That's what it's all about. There's no major overhead. We're not hiding the Ark of the Covenant or, you know, the, the crown jewels or anything like that. It's, 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 the secret is allegorical because if, you know, with, with our oath that we take to one another, mm -hmm. with our obligation, um, it basically is an obligation to each other because if I can trust you with, you know, keeping an obligation, I could trust you with anything. Right. And, and that's I think, basically what it boils down to. And I think Brother Brent Morris probably put it the best, and I've seen him explain it on one of those History Channel shows where he says, look, it might have been that CBS special that they did a while back. Right. But he says, look, almost everything we do, you can find on the Internet if you put enough time into it. Mm. However, I gave my word as a man and as a Mason mm. that I wouldn't tell them to you. Right. So it doesn't matter that you can go find them somewhere else. I gave my word and I took an oath and obligation that I wouldn't convey them. Right. Therefore, I Got can't. Them. And it's a sign of me being a man of my word. Right. Uh, Deborah Wainwright, she wrote, also keeping secrets from the Pope as if he couldn't just petition a lodge or maybe just ask. I'd blackball <laughs> the Pope in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Before we get the mail, I'm joking. It was an opportunity. I took the shot. The shot was clear. I took it. I mean... No, I'm not going to shoot the Pope either. I'm not saying that. Well, the, uh, the Pope that we had, uh, I think he... Uh, what are we on? Boniface? What's his name? We're on Francis right now. Francis. Benedict yeah, was before him. Benedict. He was, uh, he was actually a Jesuit, right? 
No, I think uh, Francis now Francis is a Jesuit. Is now. Yeah, yeah. And they've been tied yeah. to Freemasonry kind of loosely. Yeah. So it's it's nothing. Uh, yeah, th- th- that's why we have this. Uh, right. Why Freemasonry is bad. I mean, it, what it really comes down to is, as Right Worshipful Brother George was saying before, it's a monopoly on knowledge. If you have a monopoly on knowledge, you have the power. Mm. It's, it's it's the same thing when you talk about even go back to the story of Adam and Eve. Everything went south when they ate from the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. When you th- go into uh, Greek, I believe it's Greek I mean, mythology, with the story of Prometheus, but not where he brings that. fire to the right. common, to, to man, and then he's stuck on the side of a mountain and has a vulture pluck his liver out every day as a punishment for bringing knowledge to people. And that was just a way to kind of maintain a power and a monopoly over thought. And think about the danger of... Right. having a monopoly over thought but if you have that power and you have that monopoly you don't want to give that up and anybody that's a threat to it you're going to tear it down as as best as you can right and, and not for nothing though speak of this i know women like to point out that oh we're the ones that ate the apple but I mean, what do you expect when you serve it to us with a beer it's <laughs> gonna <happen>. like, <laughs> anyway guys what else you got uh i got one uh you have you mentioned uh brotherhood of me freemasonry do you have any fun or cool stories where uh, Freemason will help you out of a sticky situation or something like that. Mm, stories um, about a sticky situation. I, I have a bunch, but they're not really mine. They were told to me. They're stories told to me by other brothers, but I could always throw one of those in. Yeah, those, those are yeah. Good. yeah, throw that in. Ken. Throw that in, Ken. <clears throat> All right, so this was one that was told to me by um, a gentleman in our lodge who's a past district deputy, uh, past master of a couple different lodges. Great guy, um, loves telling stories though, right? Loves telling stories, and I enjoy hearing them six or seven times uh, because sometimes he forgets that he tells me, and also they're just really good stories. But he had one where he was telling me about um, his brother-in-law, um, who was a Vietnam War vet, and he was uh, a scout pilot in Vietnam. So he flew one of those little like Piper Cub type airplanes around. Um, unarmed aircraft. It's really just for reconnaissance. Um, and he was one day flying over a uh, platoon of Marines who were on the ground in a clearing um, and were being surrounded by the enemy. And, you know, he did a quick pass around these individuals and he had radio contact with them, but he doesn't to this day remember what he said or what the individuals on the ground said. But he radioed in an airstrike. And I guess, you know, there was you know, backup and an airstrike and, you know, the, those particular enemies were eliminated and that Marine platoon was um, saved, right? They, they lived to fight another day. Um, and then he t- tells me of that evening he went back to his barracks, um, crashes out for the night, and he wakes up feeling like his bed was being picked up, like he was levitating. He opens his eyes with a start and he looks at the 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 end of his bed and he sees this giant you know brick poop house looking marine (laughs) with the end of his bed up in the up in the air and he drops it to wake him up and he's like are you the goddamn you know are you the soldier that saved our asses last night and he or are you the he says are you the gd brother right he doesn't call him soldier he calls him brother so at that point, they realize that the two of them are Masonic brothers. They're both members of the fraternity, but he doesn't remember what he said on the radio that clued that individual in that he was a Mason. 
So it, that just it just kind of talk it speaks to the, uh, the the modes of recognition that we have as Masons that sometimes we say things and we don't even realize that we're saying them. That there's another Mason out there, they recognize that. So I thought that was a really cool story. I enjoyed that one. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't had anything quite as cool as that one. Mine is, uh, you know, uh, very very simple. You know, usually when I travel. Um, I will always make sure that I'm wearing something Masonic. Just, God forbid, something bad were to happen. It's it's a way for people to, if there's a brother in distress or whatever, you know, those are things that go through my head when I travel. If something happened, at least there's a mode of recognition there. So I might wear a lodge shirt. I might wear, like, just a plain square encompasses ring versus my Scottish right ring. Um, but there's always something that I have. I even have a Scottish right decal on um, my luggage. And I can remember going through TSA one time, and it was a long, long line. And then I got pulled aside. And I'm like, here we go. <laughs> here we go. So then the TSA agent looks at me and goes, uh, you can walk right over there, and I'll have the dog sniff your, uh, sniff your bag. You have yourself a good trip, brother. I was like, oh. So he let you cut the line, in a sense. He let me. He, he, didn't let me, he didn't have me not go through security at all. He put me through an expedited line. That's awesome. Um, so, and who knows? Maybe he saw something before he let me do that. Maybe he recognized it when I got up there. Mm. But it's just like, have a safe flight, brother. Like, That's awesome. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. That's yeah. Awesome. I have stories. I have uh, stories, but none that I can really think off the top of my head. I mean, most of the times it's like, you know, lines of communication. Like when you pull up to a stoplight and a dude pulls up next to you and says, hey, what's up, Hiram? Ah. Yeah. Or... Uh, oh, I see you're a traveler, or you look to the east, or stuff like that. Um, got a coffee one time where it's, you know, I went to go pay, and he's like, you're all set, brother. And he's, he was actually wearing a Masonic ring that he just kept yeah. tapping on the counter, and I'm like, ah, I got it, got it, got it. I actually did that one time. I'm, behind, I'm in a Dunkin' Donuts uh, drive through in Milford, Connecticut one time, and I see the black pickup truck in front of me, and it has uh, a Masonic plate. In Connecticut, there's a Masonic license plate you can get. And it was some, and I forget the exact year, but it said something like uh, MWGM 2010 or 2008 or whatever the year was. So as he and he's directly in front of me, and as I as he pulls up and I'm making my order, I said, "Hey, do me a favor. The the guy that's pulling up right now, add his whatever his order is to to my order and tell him that his brother picked it up for him." Um, so I get a, a nice little wave out the window, and it uh, ended up turning out to be uh, most worshipful grandmaster uh, George Greatech. I ended up finding out at a at a later date, but I'm like, all right, I was just trying to do a nice thing, but hey, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Fire next one. Keep going, guys. Keep, Keep going. going. Keep it going. We could do this all night long. <laughs> Careful what you say. <laughs> uh, if I did that, I wouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> I have one that kind of goes along with that, and it's uh, I've, I've noticed Masons as I'm walking down the street. They'll have like a, a hat or the ring, like you guys were saying. And uh, mm. so, what do you think the best way to uh, to know someone or say hi or give them some respect? I'm not going through the process myself yet. That's hard because I think right. it's 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 one of those things where you know, just like you have people that. Uh, uh, wear uniforms and pretend to be military. And, and I'm not saying that it's always something bad. You might have somebody who 
inherited a ring from their grandfather and they don't really know what it means but it's a masonic ring and they wear it as a tribute to him and usually there's a couple questions that you'll ask before you even address them as brother um there's a few veiled things that'll refer back to a certain line in ritual where only somebody who's been initiated and has gone through would know the uh the proper response and it's almost like you start at a lower level and then if he answers properly then you take it up a notch and then if he answers properly you can then ask right something else and then when you once you're comfortable then you can get into um right. you know there's certain recognition but there's I think initially you a just feeling out process. I think initially, if you want to just recognize, like, hey, you know, uh, I see that you're you're a Freemason. I'm I'm interested in joining, or you know, or, hey, I put my petition in, or mm-hmm. you address it like that. But the last thing you want to do is come up to him and say, "Hello, brother," and because he's going to automatically assume that you're a brother, and when he finds out you're not, he's going to be pissed. He's going to be pissed because Masons are, I think. Uh, I hate to compare it to the military, but we do not like stolen valor. <laughs> right. <laughs> At all. But sometimes it's an honest mistake. Like a yeah. kid wearing his grandfather's ring wouldn't right. wouldn't know that. Mm-hmm. But no, a funny story. There's um, a part a bartender at a local brewery, Voracious mm-hmm. Brewing in Monroe, Connecticut. That's a place that I frequent. And a bartender that I got along with really well kept calling me brother. And after, like, probably the fifth or sixth time, because I always wore my ring in there, I would right. say to him, hey, are you, are you, are you a Freemason? Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, what would make you think that? I'm like, oh, because well, we're constantly uh, calling everybody brother. He's like, no, nah, it's just how I greet people that I like. So right. there's, like, you can't yeah, always Mr. assume. Mr. T always called everybody brother, too. As far as I know, he wasn't a Hogan. Person. And Hulk Hogan, too. Hogan. Let me tell you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, the, the only thing you don't want to do is, you know, again, you don't want to come across as if you're calling him a brother. He's automatically going to assume you're a brother. And the best way to do it is, you know, even if, like, let's say you did have, a, like you were saying, with the, the Masonic ring of your grandfather or whatever. Right. If you're asked, you know, hey, I see you look to the east, or you, he says a line that you don't understand, don't try to answer it. Right. Because... Then he's going to know that you're full of it, and you could just say, oh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm not a man. Right, he might say, I said, that's a nice ring you've got right. there. Yeah, I got it from my grandfather, blah, blah, blah. And then he might right. inquire further. But, yeah, don't, don't overthink it. If you don't know, just say you don't know. And who knows? It might lead to a great conversation. He might start to explain the history of it to you, and you, right. know, you may start a conversation that becomes uh, you know, something that uh, pushes you further on your journey. Right. Yeah, if you walk up to any mason on the street and tell him, "Hey, I'm thinking of petitioning a lodge," or "Hey, I petitioned a local lodge," you're you're in for a great conversation. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So that's always the way to go. Right. All right, sweet. Uh, I have a question on the topic of uh, joining a lodge. Um, what what steps should you take to to join the Freemasonry? Where's your brother Ken? Why don't you answer that one? You know, put me on the spot for this one. So really, um, what we say is we don't recruit, right? So Masons will not recruit. We, we don't go and uh, try to find, you know, prospective uh, men to join the fraternity. You always have to come to us, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the first step is always just asking somebody, if you know somebody who's a Mason, not everybody does, right? 
Um, there's no requirement to have some kind of family lineage for Freemason or anything like that, but you do have to go and, and speak to somebody who is a brother and, and ask. That's always the first step. We do have, um, I mean, the, the Grand Lodge of Connecticut, for example, has a mechanism by which individuals who don't know Masons can ask a Mason. Mm-hmm. And there's basically a contact form on the website. We call it the EMR system. And there's pamphlets. Uh, you know, there's pamphlets? Yes, there's pamphlets. Yes, yes, there are pamphlets and handbills as well. Joe's not uh, but Basically, you know, Joe's it's like not, a form Joe's like Joe's any other the... website. You put in your, your information, your phone number, your email address, not too much information, but just enough so that somebody can get in contact with you. And then somebody from a lodge close to Welcome you back, uh, will be, you know, the, the Grand Lodge will coordinate it so that that individual gets your information, and they'll contact you and ask you more. Um, I left an Easter egg. That's most I mean. most other uh, grand jurisdictions throughout the United States have similar mechanisms on their website. You can just check their site um, and start from there. But if you happen to know somebody who's a Mason, all you got to do is ask them. That's always the first step. Yep, absolutely. And we don't count. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> we don't count. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want us signing any petitions, uh, trust me. I left Joe a little Easter egg when he listens back, when he actually listens to the, when it comes out on Apple. So, <sighs> left you an Easter egg there, buddy. Okay. <laughs> me and Ken, it was kind of a collaboration thing. At two, Ken? <laughs> well, and you know, I love masonry, but I don't think the transit from uh, Connecticut Morningstar Lodge to Illinois is going to be very uh, feasible for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> but uh, I I was kind of talking with George about this through a text or whatever, but uh, I kind of did the same process with the, the Worshipful Master of the Carbondale Lodge, and oh. I've been talking with him and emailing him and back and stuff, and their lodge is actually joining with another local lodge because uh, they're starting to go low on membership. Mm-hmm. And uh, merger. It's it was a tough time when I contacted him, but uh, hopefully by the fall again I'll be able to go down there and uh, do, have a dinner with them and get to meet some of those guys. But uh, right now they're kind of going through a hard time, so yeah, I'm trying he- to figure that out as well. And here's my advice to you: you know, there are some old school people that uh, you know, want you to come around a few times before they really open up to you. So as you go, you know, if you go to the dinner. And you don't receive a petition or something right away. Don't be put off by that. Right. Keep going. Get to know the people. This way, they see you there. They see you showing up. They take the time to get to know you. You know, it's a better chance that when uh, your petition gets voted on, you know, those those brothers are like, oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember Jake from coming around. It's, uh, right. uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Seems like he's really interested. So just make yourself visible even before you're handed a petition. Two-way Sweet. street. Thank you. They're interviewing you. You're interviewing them. It's two-way street. All right. Sweet. Thank you. So uh, another one is uh, getting back into the the conspiracy a little bit because uh, where history is mysteries, we ask the questions. But uh, of course, yeah. Go ahead. From what histor- from from what historical orders and sources does masonry draw its heritage, and then how is their presence reflected in the order today? So, I think I remember this question from when we did the interview. Couple and it depends on who you ask. It depends on who you <laughs> ask. Uh, the different, um, the the beginnings are very veiled. Yes. Not intentionally, just because. I mean, and I think when we we talked, uh, Jake, we were to. I, I I think one of the comparisons I made is to the mafia. 
No, Capone didn't just pop out of nowhere. Like, it was something that was going on. There just really wasn't a paper trail to it. Right. There wasn't an organized right. committee and I, or whatever. And, and I made a, a comparison to, you know, some, uh, God, many podcasts back about some papers that were found talking about uh, a lodge meeting in Edinburgh. Yep. And, uh, it, and it's funny because there's the Templar Wood there, Rosalind Chapel's right around the corner. Like, it's all in that general area. And it talked, I can't remember exactly what the, the line was, but it was something about he was a, he was the king's son, but he was also a, um, uh, a laboring man or something like that. But it was alluding to the fact that he was a Freemason, right, in a sense. Right. Is that like Mother Killwing Lodge number zero or yes, something like yes, that? Yes, mm-hmm. And the longest standing, that, that's the longest running lodge in the world. It's one of the oldest lodge in the world. Yeah, and clearly we take a lot of our history from the stonemason guilds that went around uh, England and Scotland back in those times. Uh, but, you know, yeah, some, and it goes back as far as the tradition of the Knights Templar and the, uh-huh. the building of Sing- King Solomon's Temple. And, um, you know, it, it really depends on how far down the rabbit hole yeah. um, that you want to get. But obviously, about a little I over mean, 300 years ago, I believe, it was the Grand Lodge of England was founded. And that's when modern Freemasonry started. Modern, right. Um, but know, there's he, even connections to that, you know, that even go back further than the Templars because go back to the many, pyramids. There are many that believe that the um, that uh, the Freemasons came from the Templars. It was a right. ritual handed down and there and, and with that being said, there are many that believe that the Templars learned their ritual from the Middle East and the mystery schools and all right. the things they were learning down there in the middle in the the Middle East. Yep. So, I mean, where Freemasonry begins, where it ends, it's it's kind of lucrative, but the definitive uh, modern-day Freemasonry was the Goose and, Goose and Gridiron. It was the right. first Grand Lodge that, I think, formed. It was four lodges, yep. and it was in 1717. Right. But, you know, a lot of that... Uh, I love- a lot of that history got destroyed and things through, through war. You know, everybody knows that the Middle East has been a hotbed for wars for, I don't know, a couple thousand years. And, uh, you know, the libraries at Alexandria and a lot of those places that housed those records that would give us any inkling as to what was going on, those were all destroyed. Right. Uh, so that's, that's why that, that early, early ancient history of Freemasonry is kind of, it's really unknown. And if, I think if anybody tells you, Definitively, that they absolutely know when it started. No, they're they don't trust me. They don't because you know some of the most prolific scholars in Freemasonry that I've that I know or have read, they'll admit they don't know. Mm. They can make some educated guesses based on the evidence before them, but if anybody says they definitively know, they don't. And here's the interesting thing about evidence, you know. You can't, if you have a, a, a body of evidence, you come up with a hypothesis, and this is where you can assume that Freemasonry got started around this year. But when new evidence comes in, right. you have to change the story. So, you know, right. perhaps down the road, maybe some more manuscripts or documents or something will be found, found and, you know, tie it to the Templars or tie it to there. So it's going to be, history is going to be rewritten absolutely time and time again i mean a hundred years from now they might find a picture of you and i together and like wow worshipful brother joe must have been a giant and then 50 years later they just realized no you were just a little short they'll read it on a pamphlet 
That's for the veiled shot that I haven't heard. That's for the shot that I haven't heard yet because you took it when I, I left the room. <laughs> so yeah, if you what else? Uh, what else you guys got? Well, I loved hearing that from you guys because uh, the series that we've been doing on the Freemasons, we touched on a lot of those similar topics, and so right. hearing it from Masons themselves is good too as confirmation. Because uh, we got into the whole Knights Templar thing and uh, a lot yes. of the work with Scott Walter, you guys just talked to. Yep, yep, and yep. Uh, and uh, even the the Rose Croy and the and the Scottish Rite. Oh yeah, the Rosicrucians. That's Rosicrucians. a that's a whole another rabbit hole. And they're actually uh, the Rosicrucians are in the Scottish Rite, but there actually is a branch of Rosicrucians in Freemasonry. Yep. You guys said uh, could definitely jump, dive down that rabbit hole. Can I tease? Nope. They they brought up Scott Walter. Can I tease the potential guests that we have coming up, or should yeah. I leave that? So you guys have seen a lot of the um, the shows on History Channel, and you you're familiar with with Scott Walter. Uh, one of the people that we may have coming on the show, you know, sometime in May. I know you've seen on any of those shows. If you've ever seen anything regarding Freemasonry and the Knights Templar or Holy Grail in America. There's an English gentleman on there, an English scholar named Alan Butler uh-huh. uh, that's on there. And uh, I'm fairly certain we've got him locked in for uh, a date sometime in the middle of May. So that, that'll that be another really good one for you guys to, uh, and Janet. to hop on. And Janet Walter, who Janet wrote Walter. a book with, Al- book, with Alan yeah. Butler. That's so. why I put the book up. Oh, I can't yeah. see the book. I got yeah, the book. Alan Butler and Janet Walters. Yes. So even yep. if you guys did them together, that would be awesome. Yeah, too. no, yeah. that's that's the point. Let's talk about that. Yeah, that, we've uh, awesome. we uh, spoke to Janet a bit when Scott was on uh, mm-hmm. on Thursday night, and she's uh-huh. agreed, and she wants to bring Alan with her. So yeah, look forward to that in an upcoming episode in May. Um, where awesome. We're going to have Janet and Alan on there. Yeah, and I've talked to uh, Scott in the past, and a lot of his research is super awesome. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, the, the hooked X alone is uh, yeah. I'm, I'm he got me interested in it so much that I'm going out there this summer and I'm gonna go see the Kensington Runestone Museum. Hopefully. Oh, nice, very cool. And the cool thing about uh, Brother Walter is he does his research, but he's not afraid that if something doesn't fit, and it's it just whether it be fraudulent or it's just not impactful to the story he's trying to tell, he has no problem saying. Yeah, you know what? That's not really no. That's that's not relevant to what I'm trying to do here. It's it's a fraud or, or whatever. Like he does, he's not looking for things to constantly just bolster his own opinion. If he gets conflicting views or just something that's ridiculous, he'll acknowledge it and and if it uh, if it ruins his theory, he'll admit it. And if it's a fraud, he'll call it out. But he right. just won't take that information if it's helpful to him, which is you know what you want a researcher to do. So what else you guys want to know? I think that was going down uh, perfectly into our next question, which was, uh, what are your views on the possible Templar connections with Freemasonry, and did the Templars live on through the Freemasons? I don't think... I've done a lot of research on this. I'm big into the Knights Templar. Um, I mean, the stone guilds of the time were building all of the castles and churches churches and everything for the Knights Templar. So it's hard to say that our ritual came from the Knights Templar. I I do believe that 
our ritual may be modeled off of them. And I'll give you a perfect example. There's a picture on the side of the Rosalind Chapel. It's actually not a picture. It's actually sculpted in the side of the building. You guys will find this interesting. There's a sculpture in the side of Rosalind Chapel that has a blindfolded man holding a Bible with a noose around his neck, and it looks like a priest with a, with a cross in the center of his chest mm-hmm. walking him or conducting him. I mean, uh, you have uh, you have the St. Clairs. They're up there at Roslyn right. Chapel, and then on the ceiling you have the you know, what are they, the frieze of the of the, of the arch. Yep. It's corn, which was not native not to native Europe at that time. To anywhere, right? Like, it's native to the United States, <laughs> it's, right? You, it's native to America, the right. New World, and uh, you have the Apprentice Pillar. You have the Master's Pillar. You got. I mean, there's so there's many. A lot. At the very least, there's some cross-pollination there. There's definitely the some very least. Right. So whether or not the two of them were tied together, I mean, one can make an argument, but it's, it's speculative. It's uh, circumstantial at best, but there are quite a few circumstances. Well, and even so I'm a believer that, yes, the two may not have been one of the same order. They probably were two separate, you know, cross-pollinating back and forth. But when the Templars were eventually put down, I believe that, yes, they blended it. They blended it. Yeah. And, and that's just my... like you could say the Bavarian Illuminati. Some of those symbolisms carried over to us. Right. Rosicrucian symbolisms. Right. So that cross-pollination does yeah. happen. And I do believe that many of the Templars, you know, most of them, sure, just you know, took their stuff off and said, hell with it. It's over with. Or some of them joined into Freemasonry and... Maybe, maybe we're helping build churches that they were putting esoteric stuff on the and right. sticking it to the church. <laughs> exactly. And and like I I agree with Right Worship Brother George. I, I definitely think there is some connection there. Uh, if I were to tell you I knew exactly what that connection was, <sighs> I would be lying to you. But there are certain factual things, you know, such as the Jolly Roger being the naval flag of the Knights Templar and Correct. Right around the time that the Knights Templar, the Navy fleet disappeared, La piracy started coming right. through. Um, you know, it, some two very interesting books that that key in on that uh, specifically is uh, Born in Blood, mm-hmm. excellent, excellent book that really gets into the Knights Templar co- connection between uh, the Knights Templar and Freemasons. Mm-hmm. And also, I'd recommend the High Room Key. Those would be two books that I would recommend if you haven't read. Um, that'll give you a little bit more insight into that. And the, the authors will readily admit that there are some parts that were blank that they kind of filled in the blanks based on uh, an educated guess. But it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And you want to go down that rabbit hole, do some research on the Shroud of Turin and when it was yep. done and perhaps it uh, has a different uh, origin than what we've been led to believe. There's definitely a bleed a bleed. Between the two groups, Jack was it uh, Jacques de Molay who they claim may have been the one on the Jacques trial? de Molay. Yep, yep. it's mm. potentially because okay. he was, uh, according to some records, he was tortured in a very similar way to the way right. Christ was tortured in order to try to get him to to cave mm. and uh, admit some secrets. So, not again, can't say for certain it's factual, and I'm not even I implying that, that well. but something to consider especially when you do the carbon dating on the shroud and when it was actually uh when the the year that it comes back to uh its origins it's it's interesting it's something to to consider mm. and uh formulate your own opinion on right 
And while in either way, that artifact, if it's uh, either Christ's body that was imprinted on that, uh, Jackie's de Malay, or even something else, that artifact alone is such a cool thing and historically significant just for the, the biological and DNA aspect of that. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I'll tell you one yeah. thing, and there's probably not a Mason alive today that if you ask them, hey, do you think it would be cool if Masonry sprang out of the Knights Templar? You're not going to get any argument from a Mason alive no. today. Right, because right? they like, would be would really all cool. love, would be really cool. love to have that golden thread lead back to the Templars. But without the evidence, man, we're also taught to be free, free thinkers, mm. right, and follow the evidence. And if they're, right. if it's just speculation, then we're, we're not going to say it's true. Right. So the York right then? The, the Knights Templar Compendry at the top of the York right? Yep. Mm hmm Right, but that's uh, they make no claims that that is know, correct. That institution came from Templary. It's just that it's patterned after the Knights Templar. Yes, the okay. lessons were drawn. Yeah, I love that rabbit hole. One of our first episodes we did was on the Knights Templar, and we went through a lot of those same connections. And even with the the Freemasons series that we're going through right now as a podcast, we got into a lot of that same stuff, and. Uh, even the the Bavarian Illuminati was with Adam Weishfeld and uh, how he was initiated through Blue Lodge, and uh, how some of his influence was taken from the Masons. It's all those connections that are uh, speculative, but uh, interesting to say the least. Right. Yeah, this is where us history nerds really, uh, you know, get hooked into it, because you know the, yeah. the, the deeper you go in, the more history there is, and then you just you never recover from it, and then next thing you know, you're uh, next thing you know, you're a Freemason. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Few months. Few more months. You guys, got any more? Yeah. Well, that's the whole podcast is all those different themes. Right. I got I got one more short one. Okay. Uh, what's your what's your favorite aspect of uh, masonry? Like, how does that affect you uh, daily? Uh, Worship Brother Ken, why don't you lead it off? Let him do it, because he's kind of in the shadows right now. He's a shadow mason. He is a shadow mason. He's like the Masonic ninja. He's transparent. <laughs> Worship Brother Ken. Yeah, I was trying to unmute myself. I'm oh, sorry. It's all right. Um, so for me, it's always been the fact that um, as a mason, no matter where you go in the world, you always have a brother. Mm. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean that... I mean, we, we treat each other like... Worshipful Brother Joe and right Worshipful Brother George. Um, as far as I'm concerned, those guys are family, right? They're not blood, but they're my family. Right. Um, as a Mason, you pretty much feel that way about anybody that you meet, even if you've met them for the first time and they're a member of the craft. At the very, very least, you know that that person has the same kind of cardinal virtues as you. Um, and me, as myself, I'm an optimist, right? Like, I believe the best in human nature. Right, so I've been burned a lot, right, when I'm talking to people in, uh, in, in business and in life. And Especially in the sun. School, I always kind of, you know, assumed, I always gave people the benefit of the doubt. And yeah, I got burned a lot, right, because if you look at the general population, there, there's a lot of sketchy people, there's a lot of really good people as well. Um, in the Masonic Institution, that ratio skyrockets, right? So there's a lot more good, and of course there's going to be a few bad apples, but the ratio of the good versus the bad is so much higher, you can implicitly trust 
if you meet another brother on the street or when you're traveling on business or if you find yourself you're on vacation somewhere on a, on a, on a tropical island and you, you hurt yourself or you get in a car accident or something like that, if you meet a brother, um, you can trust that individual. So the fact that I have family all around this globe is um, one of the most interesting and impactful things for me about me. Yeah, and I'll echo that too. It's the one thing for me, it's the brotherhood. Um, it's... And it's hard to describe the bond you feel, but I think Virtual Brother can put it the same. It's it's family, even though you're not blood-related. Actually, like some of my brothers, but I like some of my family. Um, but there's that tight bond where you just know that if you were to need help uh, and, and had any issues, you can call on one of your brothers, and they wouldn't even hesitate. Drop of a hat. Uh, drop of like, not even, you know, perfect example... You know, today I got a call from a brother who's in Florida. Uh, his mother lives a few blocks away from me. Like I could walk there if I if I needed to. And she's an elderly woman, and she needed somebody to be at the house while she was doing certain things because she was afraid of falling. Right. Asked me if I would just be willing to go sit at the house for an hour, and um, and she's also not only is she a mother of a mason, but she's a widow of a mason. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I could just give her, oh, give me your number. I'll go over right now. And I went over and she did what she needed to do. And I sat and I <clears throat> spoke to her for probably about an hour or so just to, you know, she's an elderly woman, didn't have anybody to talk to. But those are just things that we do and you don't even think about it. Right. And I know that it would be done for me in return. Right. Uh, and it's and it's not a, hey, let me keep score. You owe me one kind of thing. You just oh. do the right thing. And you help your brother out. You help your brother's families out, and they'll do the same for you. Right. And you know, it's, there's a lot to be said for that. I, I definitely, and for me, I would definitely have to agree with those two other points that Worshipful Brother Joe and Ken said. Uh, but for me, the history of it and the knowledge part of it is what really mm -hmm. does it for me. It's you know, for me, you, you get through your first three degrees, and after I did my first three, I'm like, well, I want to know more. I want, I want to learn more. I want to see what these other degrees are, a part, uh, are about and, you know, the history behind them. Because every, um, especially in the York Rite, once you get to start taking degrees, when the degrees are over with, there's a historical lecture after. Mm -hmm. And this is what this means and this is what that means. And it, that part of the history is there. And it's just amazing to sit back and think that, you know, my, my idols who are Freemasons, George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, Voltaire, I mean, n name them. You know what I mean? They're going through the same exact thing that I went through. It's just a great, it's a rich history. Yeah. So, and, and to even build upon that a little bit more, because one of the things you mentioned in your question was applying it to everyday life. There are lessons that you learn, not only in your Blue Lodge degrees, but in your appendant body degrees that are lessons of morality, lessons of, you know, whether it be forgiveness, toleration. Um, there's a lot that you learn from those that, you know, there's probably not a day that goes by where I encounter something and I stop, reflect upon the lessons that I've learned and apply them to the situation. Yeah. You know, we're not perfect. Sometimes we figure that out after <laughs> we've reacted, but... Right. You know, there are lessons that you learn through the degrees of Freemasonry that you can apply to life to not only better yourself, but to better society around you. 
Uh, and not for nothing, let me just also add to that, if you don't mind. You know, <clears throat> I know conspiracy theorists love pointing out how we're bad guys and devil worshippers and baby killers and <laughs> God knows what else, child traffickers. And, you know, that is such, it's such shit, if I will. Because here's one thing that Freemasonry does for me, okay? I'm not out at a bar drinking and getting trashed and driving around. I'm not at strip clubs. I'm not freaking doing drugs. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm up here, and we're 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 doing something good. We're contributing to society. Contributes a, to society and then our community in a constructive way. In a Absolutely. constructive way. Absolutely. All right. right, sweet. What do you think, guys? I had a one wrap-up question that kind of closes it all. If you guys got the time, not yeah, go right ahead. No problem. All right, so I wanted to wrap it up by uh, asking you guys, where do you see Freemasonry in the future, and then where do you see your Masonic career in the future? I'll go first. Here's yeah, my Masonic. Here, here's my Masonic career at some point. Yours is all downhill from here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, uh, as we we said, uh, actually, I was just uh, elected to be the Grand Junior Warden of the Grand Commander of the State of Connecticut. Um, so I'm hoping within the next six years I will be the right eminent grand commander of the state of Connecticut. And then uh, I think at that point I'll probably humbly bow up. The only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do this podcast. We'll continue doing this stuff. I'm going to ride off into the sunset, if you will. Um, I've done a lot so far in my Masonic career, and I'm happy with it. Like I don't need to go any further. And I perfectly content with where i am and where i'm you know what i've done so far as for freemasonry in the future i think this whole covid thing is definitely going to change people's minds freemasonry has gone through a very long time of living in the stone ages where we were still basically sending carrier pigeons i would say and pamphlets and snail mail and all this other stuff that was your own shot i wasn't even gonna fire it um but uh and I think this this whole COVID thing has really opened the eyes to that Freemasonry does need technology more so than you think because right now everyone's you know shitting a brick. Nobody wants to get together and meet. So we're doing it through Zoom. We're doing it through Skype. We're doing it through Facebook Messenger, whatever it may be. But we, we I think Freemasonry, especially the older generation, you know, I'm not talking older like you know older older generation like you know 50s to 60s you know in that area they're starting to realize that oh wow this is something that'll actually be good you know and i can i I think me personally what you'll eventually see in lodges and i think would be really cool is obviously not during a tiled lodge but you will see um like skype phone calls being made to the older brothers so that they can, you know, the ones who can't get out of the house or can't make the stairs or can't drive at night, so that they'll be part of. Mm-hmm. And I could see like giant TV on the wall. Yeah. You know? So you're like, you know, everybody's seeing everything that's going on. That's where I see for a master go. Where's for Brother Ken? How about you? So, as far as where I see masonry going in the future, and it's my opinion that right now the world needs masonry more than perhaps it ever has in the past. Um, based on that, um, the recent marketing campaign that the Northern Masonic Jurisdiction put together, um, they did a lot of uh, kind of marketing research 
beforehand before they put that campaign together. And what they discovered was, you know, men today, especially young men, especially men your age, um, they are looking for what Freemasonry offers. So really, it just at that be- at that point, it becomes um, a gap between what Freemasonry is providing and what those individuals are looking for. Right. So if like White Worshipful Brother George was saying, if it comes down to you know Masonry, which is an organization made up of men of, that run the entire continuum, right, from young men all the way up to the elderly, if we can become more uh, in general technologically savvy, and if that's what young men are looking for, and that's what's going to draw them to the fraternity and make them think that, oh, well, you know, it's it's the same as any other organization because they get social media and they get you know, uh, video conferencing and stuff like that, then I think that's that's where we need to go. Um, so I, I believe the world still needs masonry, and I hope I hope to God... I mean, I don't think we're going to see a resurgence in numbers like we did during World War II or during the Revolutionary mm. War or something like that, but that's fine. Um, if we see some sort of increase, then we're doing our job. Um, so I don't know what that picture looks like, but I do believe that masonry itself is still very relevant. Um, as far as my Masonic career, um, I was master of my lodge last year, so I worked my way through the officer's line in my lodge, uh, culminating with being master last year. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that's really my own my only aspiration. Um, I don't have any aspirations to join the Grand Line, at least not anytime soon. Um, right now I'm serving my lodge in the capacity of chaplain. Um, which I think is a great position to be in. Um, advising our current master, I'm advising uh, the younger officers in the line, and I, I feel like um, my talents are put to good use in that capacity. Um, I don't know, maybe spend some more time in uh, the appendant bodies that I haven't visited since I've been working my way through the officers' line, uh, line of Blue Lodge. I'd like to go back to Grotto more frequently. I'd like to spend more time at Commandery. Um, maybe go through the line in my commandery and I really enjoy doing ritual and performing ritual and we've got some beautiful ritual in uh, the commandery of Knights Templar so maybe I'll uh, put my talents to use that way but no lofty aspirations in masonry for me I just just want to be a brother of the craft that's it yeah and and I to to echo what uh, right word for brother George and word for brother Ken were saying as far as the, the future of the craft, I honestly think we're going to come out stronger once this is all over um, for, for a few reasons. One, we're being forced to get into that modern technology world. We had the luxury of sitting back and saying, nah, it might not be necessary. You know, meeting in person is always the best way, which I still believe it is. But we kind of sat back on that. For, you know, whether it be fear of change, you know, whether it be a certain level of um, being conceited, in, in essence, or a certain level of comfort, um, we're like, no, we don't need to do that. Well, I think we're realizing now that if we're going to survive in a, in a world like we're, we have right now, we got to get with the times and we have to do it very quickly. Absolutely. And I think we're realizing that and we're doing that. So I think we're going to come out stronger. And then you take something like this pandemic where people start to think about their own mortality and wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves and, and looking for a bigger purpose. 
you know, that, that purpose-driven life. Uh, Freemasonry offers that. Uh, so I, I think we're going to see, a, a again, it's not going to be like post-World War II boost. I don't think that's, that's going to happen again. But I think we're going to see uh, somewhere in between where we are now and those levels. I think that's absolutely going to happen. I agree. You know, as far as my Masonic aspirations, I'll, I'll give you a, a very cliche, cheesy answer. It's wherever it takes me. Uh, my main purpose every day as a, as a Mason is to serve the craft and to serve my brothers. And if that happens to be wearing purple or if that happens to be as a mentor to the newest member of the lodge sitting in the northeast corner... That's fine. As long as I have an opportunity to serve the craft and serve my brothers, I'll be happy. And wherever that takes me, it takes me. And uh, just to clarify for you guys, purple is a the signet or the the color of a grand line officer, somebody who uh, mm-hmm. runs a, who was the uh, a grand line officer for like whatever state they live in. I don't think all states use purple, but I'm pretty sure they do, right? Uh, I'm fairly certain they do. Some in some jurisdictions, it's more of a Royal blue, which Royal is a blue, purplish right. uh-huh. blue, just because that was always the more expensive right. pigment back right. in the day. Um, but it, it's usually some derivative or some variation of of purple. What else you guys got? Anything else, or are we uh, you ready to uh, shut this one down? No, that's about it. That's all we got. Yeah, that's all we got today. Oh, awesome. Well, cool. I want to thank you guys for reaching out. Uh, it was, uh, and again. Um, the interview that we did is on uh, your page. Uh, again, unfortunately, the audio on, on your end, I don't know. That was that was my screw-up. I don't know why it didn't work. But, uh, hey, this one did. And uh, yeah. I was able to bring along uh, uh, Joe and Ken, too. So Yeah, awesome. It was a great time. And uh, thanks for the interview. I've never been interviewed before. So it was really cool. Right? I have by, like, a prosecutor, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> definitely different. <laughs> definitely nice. a different vibe to it. Nice. All right. So, uh, do you guys want to do your outro and then we'll do ours and we'll shut it down? What do you think? Yeah. I just wanted to say uh, thank you to you guys as well for doing this with us and then sharing the Masonic aspect of it because there's only so much uh, history we can share before uh, the, the subject we talk about, we actually have to go to uh, the people that are in it. Right. So, uh, huge shout out to you guys. Thank you. Cool. Glad to help. Glad to help. I think it went pretty well. I agree. All right, so you guys want to do your outro, and then we'll we'll wrap it up with uh, ours. Yeah, sure. What do you guys do? Just say, have a good night. See you later, everyone. Is that, uh, or do you have a... Uh, we'll, uh, we'll close it with all our names, and then we'll say uh, Carpe Diem. Oh. Uh, seize the day. Perfect. Have at it. Yep. All right, all being said, thanks, guys, and have a nice week. This is Jacob. Yeah. Very nice. And for the Freemasons podcast, I'm Right Worshipful Brother George Mudry signing off. Worshipful Brother Joe signing off. Worshipful Brother Ken signing off. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.